You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So there are two questions to ask about Psalm 35. Number one, what is Psalm 35 doing? Number two, why is Psalm 35 doing it? And here are two answers to those two questions, at least broadly. Number one, Psalm 35 shows us the hope that God will vindicate his faithful servant. Number two, Psalm 35 shows us this for our endurance in faith. So overall, the the message and the purpose of Psalm 35 is that God will rescue his own, so hang on. God will rescue his own, so hang on. And for the rest of our time, I just I want to just unpack more in more detail how we see this, how we find this in Psalm 35. And before we get started, as we as we typically do, I do want to take a minute and I want us to ask God for help. Wherever you are, as you watch this video, just simply ask God to to open the eyes of your heart to receive what he has for you in this psalm. Father, by your spirit, open our eyes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing to see here, the first part, is that God will rescue his own, or we could say God will vindicate his faithful servant. And the text shows us this in three ways. The first, uh, we see that vindication is required. This is we're going to start here. Vindication is required. The main message of Psalm 35 is God's rescue. But that's not what that's not most of what the psalm says. Most of the airtime in this psalm goes to David asking God to judge, to destroy his enemies. Like if you were to read the entire psalm, um, the, the enemy part is the most obvious thing. David has enemies who unjustly hate him, and so he wants God to destroy them. And we're, we're not going to understand this, this latter part until we can really understand the former part. David has enemies who are unjust enemies. The psalm makes that extremely clear. Verse 7, For without cause they hid their net from me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Verse 12, They repay me evil for good. Verse 19, They are wrongfully my foes. They hate me without cause. Verse 20, They do not speak peace. They devise words of deceit. So the issue is not merely that these people have made themselves enemies. Okay? Being against something is not wrong. There are things in life, there are things in this world that we should be against. Antagonism in itself is not wrong. But the antagonism must be just and right. And the problem with these enemies in Psalm 35 is that they were unjust and wrong to have antagonism for David. And that's why David is emboldened to pray against them. His his vindication is required. And so, second, his vindication is requested. Notice that these requests come right out of the gate in verse 1. 
David is asking God to contend with those who contend with him. Fight against those who fight him. God, make your enemies those who have made themselves my enemies. And the image that David evokes here at the very beginning is one of a warrior. Yahweh is armed with weapons and he is rising up for battle to fight for David. And then David repeats here several imprecatory petitions. Okay, these are, this is an imprecatory psalm. These are, these are curses that he's asking God to do on his enemies. He says, put them to shame. Let them be turned back. Let them be like chafe before wind. Let their way be dark and slippery. Let destruction come upon them. Let them fall into the nets that they have set. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor. David does not leave us guessing what he wants God to do to his enemies. The destruction of his enemies seems to be what consumes David in Psalm 35. Because it's the most airtime. But the destruction of his enemies also includes his salvation. See, in the Bible, judgment and salvation are often two sides of the same coin. When the, when the wicked are destroyed, the righteous are saved. And that's not just an Old Testament idea. We see this in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says... In 2 Thessalonians 1, that on the last day, when Jesus returns, God will inflict vengeance on the enemies of Jesus, but his own people will glorify Jesus and marvel at him. God considers it just to judge the afflictors and grant relief to those who are afflicted. Two sides of the same coin, judgment and salvation. And David here is asking for both. God, judge my enemies. Save me. Verse 17, how long, O Yahweh, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. Verse 23, awake, rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord, vindicate me, O Lord my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Vindication is requested. And we also see that David expects it to happen. That's the third thing we see in the psalm here. Vindication is expected. There are three verses in this psalm, throughout this psalm, where David speaks in the future tense about what he believes God will do. In each of these instances, three of them, they come after his petitions. Verse 9, he says, Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. Verse 18, I will thank you in the great congregation, in the, the mighty multitude, I will praise you. Verse 28, Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. In short, if we were to tie all this together, David expected God to answer the request that his situation required. David expected God to answer the request that his situation required. God will rescue his own. That's the message of Psalm 35. And the purpose for this message, the purpose behind this message, what it's wanting to do here is, is your endurance and faith. 
your endurance. God will rescue his own. So hang on. Now, how do we get there from here? Okay. How do we know that our endurance is the purpose of this psalm? Well, I think there are two steps for how we get there. And the first is to know who Psalm 35 is finally about. And it's not hard to see this, okay? In the storyline of Scripture, who is the true and final faithful servant who is unjustly hated? Think about this. Who is the the true and final faithful servant who is unjustly hated? This is a faithful servant who had enemies rise up against him and attempt to lay snares for him. He had malicious witnesses devise falsehoods against him, and they repaid him evil for good. And they were not far away enemies, but they were close to him, people for whom he wept, and they rejoiced at his stumbling. They conspired together against him. They mocked and reviled him, and he did not deserve it. They hated him. These enemies hated him without cause. Who is the ultimate, the true and final faithful servant who was hated without cause? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And we see this throughout the Gospels. But also, Jesus tells us this. He he tells us this precisely. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, what's called the farewell discourse, okay? This is, this is Maundy Thursday. This is the night that Jesus was betrayed. He's with his disciples, and he is teaching his disciples about the events that are about to happen. He's telling them about the future, and we know, we know what he says. I mean, he's going to be crucified. The place where he's going, they can't come, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit to them. The Holy Spirit's going to be their helper, and, and Jesus is telling them this for their comfort. He doesn't want their hearts to be troubled. He, he wants his disciples to love one another, and he doesn't want their hearts to be troubled. He says that. This is for their comfort. And in that line of thinking, Jesus also tells his disciples about their relationship to the world. And this is important. In the future, Jesus says, when when Jesus is no longer here in person, this is something that his people, the people of Jesus, need to know this. And so this is what he says in John 15, verse 18. Down to verse 25, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 24, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Do you hear that? They hated me without cause. That's a quote here in Psalm 3519. That's a quote from Psalm 3519. And Jesus says, this is fulfilled by those who hate him. 
They're called the world in John 15, which includes the Jewish leaders. And that's ironic because this unjust hatred they have for Jesus was written about in their own law. This is in their own book. They have done exactly what David said, and they have done it to the greater David. These Jewish leaders and the world have unjustly hated the true and final faithful servant to whom David pointed. And that's the first step for us. Okay, We need to see that Psalm 35 is finally about Jesus as Jesus himself tells us in John 15, verse 25. Jesus is the true and final faithful servant. And Psalm 35 is about him. Okay. Now here's the next step. Look what Jesus is saying in John 15. In John 15, Jesus is telling his disciples that the world is going to treat them the way they have treated him. How you've seen the world relate to me is how you should expect the world to relate to you because you're mine. You're not of the world. I chose you out of the world, and now I'm sending my Holy Spirit to help you bear witness to me in this world that has hated me without cause. And this is helpful, right? Jesus, thank you for this. This is good to know. But still, what's, what's the purpose here? Why is Jesus telling us this? Well, he explains. He explains in the very next verse, John 16, verse 1. Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. In other words, I have told you that the world will hate you like it hated me so that you will endure in faith. I don't want you to be surprised here. I'm telling you what to expect. They're going to hate you like they hated me. And you knowing this, me telling you this right now, is going to help you endure. It's going to help you persevere in faith. Because being hated by the world is not the end of the world. Because if there's one thing we know about the unjust hatred of Jesus is that that hatred did not have the last word. In fact, like David prays in Psalm 35 verse 8, the net that the enemies of Jesus hid for him became the same net that ensnared them. In the death of Jesus came the death of death. When, when evil seemed to have its highest day, was when it actually had its worst loss. What seemed to be evil's greatest victory was actually evil's greatest defeat. And that defeat was made public on Sunday morning when Jesus was raised from the dead, when Jesus, the faithful servant, was gloriously vindicated by his Father. Now we know for certain, we know now for certain that God will vindicate his own. And if we are in him, if we are in the true and final faithful servant, if we are united to Jesus by faith, if we follow in his footsteps, if we suffer with him, if we are unjustly hated like he was unjustly hated, God will also rescue us like he rescued Jesus. So hang on. Just hang on. 
your endurance to the future is carried by your encouragement about the future. And Christian, your future is bright. For this slight momentary affliction, Paul says, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. After you have suffered a little while, Peter says, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Christian, look, the best is yet to come for you. God will rescue his own. So hang on. The, that is the message and the purpose of Psalm 35. God will rescue his own. So hang on. And in closing, I have just two points of application. Okay. Application number one. Trust in Jesus. If you're watching this and you're not a Christian, nothing of what I've said applies to you. It doesn't. It just doesn't. The first and most important thing you can do is to put your faith in Jesus. And that's something you can do right now as you're watching this video. That's something you can do right now in this moment, wherever you are, wherever you are coming from, turn away from your sin and cling to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as your only hope. Right now, receive the grace of God for you and be saved. Okay, that's application number one. Application number two, if you do trust in Jesus, if you're watching this church, you trust in Jesus, you're united to Jesus by faith, you're a Christian, praise him. Praise him. Give Jesus praise. And this is actually how Psalm 35 ends. In view of our final salvation, in view of our, of our final vindication in Christ, because we know God will indeed save his own, we tell of his righteousness and we praise him all the day long. And that includes this day right now, today. This day right now. In whatever situation you're in, Christian, you are called to praise God. God is worthy of our praise, church. Despite the circumstances we may find ourselves in. And even when your heart, when your heart maybe feels so heavy, too heavy to lift up praise, even in that place, you can still want to praise him. And you can ask him to bring you there. You can ask him to bring you to that place where again, you thank him in the great congregation where you tell of his righteousness, where you praise him all the day long. Church, Jesus is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise all the day long. So let us praise him and give him thanks. Amen.